It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey, and you're listening to the guys of Coppen Fractures. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Coffee and Podcast, powered by Touchlight Media Group. I'm your host Chris and this week I'm joined by two very fantastic guys to talk about what we're going to discuss this week. I am joined by our usual contributor Marco and we have a special guest this week, um, author, blogger, uh, seems like an all-round great guy from the communications I've been having with him and just following on his Twitter feed seems to have a lot of the same interests wrestling Liverpool football it everything seems to be aligned so this could be a pod for the ages really if, you, if I get off track uh but we are joined by Stuart Quigley uh, and we're going to be discussing his book a little bit later on but Stuart welcome to the pod um how are you feeling today it's an absolute pleasure and honestly like I've done a lot of podcasts for the book but this is my own this is Liverpool podcast so it means a little bit more and with that introduction my ego I'm not going to be leaving the room for a while so we might as well stay and chat for a while <laughs> I'd love to hear it uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Stuart's book The Cornerstone Collection Sculpting the Premier League's Past Present and Future I was lucky enough to get a little bit of a sneak glimpse at one of the chapters uh, earlier this week and it is a riveting read but we'll be ca- uh, catching up on that in a little bit more detail halfway through the show Mark how are you doing um, we caught up last Friday with a nice surprise we're going to discuss in a little bit more detail as well <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll discuss that properly on the pod, but I'm feeling good, man. Like, there's a nice vibe around the club. I just seen Elliot training and looking sharp, so my Starboy <laughs> stopped going up. We'll see it. I see it. I see it. I mean, I saw the Curtis Jones, the, the viral video going around yesterday. That was mm-hmm. nice. Seeing the Harvey Elliott stuff today, that's also nice. I mean, we, me and you especially, we've got a lot of stock in, in Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott. Um, I feel like we might have to combine for some form of outlandish outlandish bet or shout this year. I'm more than happy to back the shouts <laughs> for these two players because I've got supreme confidence in both of them. So, um, yeah, we'll talk about that one offline so we can kind of strategize that one. Yeah, um, give me something to think about that one. That might be uh, one for the ages. <laughs> one for the ages. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hammer the details out there. But, of course... Um, it's a little bit of a cop-in anniversary, actually. I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, we Pre-season, the Reds are back. They're in the building uh, at the AXA Training Centre, which means we are now entering our fourth year covering Liverpool on Cop-in Fracas. And before I did get started, I just want to say a big thank you to anyone who's ever listened to the podcast, people who are still listening to the podcast, the patient subscribers, everyone who follows us on our various social media platforms and has praised that content. Even if you hate that content, it's thankful for the interactions and all this. He makes us kind of evaluate and kind of do what we want to do going going more forward. So a big thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, been hosting this for company's going to be almost four years now, which is absolutely insane. Where has the time gone? Um, but yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for very much for the support. You are the oil that keeps us going. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, if you do like what we do here, the Patreon page is there, three pounds per month. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Copper and Fracas. Going to be so much in this next month as we build up to the first game of the season against Fulham. So do get stuck in today. The news we were greeted with last Friday uh, absolutely made me buzzing for the weekend. Um, it's cheered the weather up. It's not rained since I don't think around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been absolutely fantastic. Sure, I'll come to you first because me and Mark had a really good discussion about this on Friday. Nice little social media games there, I have to say, from the uh, social team at Liverpool. Kind of just going to Remy Abbas. Yeah, let's have everyone on. Um, they had Jamie Carragher on. I mean, I like the, uh, everyone. the double downing on that to just keep it going. It's absolutely fantastic. Of course, Liverpool smashed their wage structure uh, and re-signed Mohamed Salah to a contract extension. Stuart, how are you feeling about that? Are you as overjoyed as I am? Well, you said the sun has not stopped shining. For me, I've had, I don't know if you can see them in a picture. I've got like cartoon birds going around my head because I've been in a daze. <laughs> just the joy. And also as well, the rug being pulled because when Rabbi Abbas tweets what he tweets, I feared the worst. And I've been slowly, I'm not a pessimistic person, but I've been slowly coming around to this idea that this was it. And when that happened, it was like, oh, okay, fair enough. Salah's, you know, his record is spectacular and this is going to be this sort of swan song. And then I saw what the Liverpool admin tweeted and I was like, something's going on here. I think I'm rogue. Have they just decided to have a go? Oh, all out civil war. And then within seconds, it was like, yeah, no, contract's done, signed. Yeah, brilliant, sweet. Um, My uh, wallpaper on my phone was changed within moments. (laughs) And it had to go. And now Salah with his shirt, it, sitting in the cool breeze, that picturesque scene. And that is the scene that, like, it's not quite paradise, but it's like that's the paradise that we've got for the next couple of years because yeah. what's gone on over the last 
few years with Salah as he's got to this point. I'm going to raise two names here. And I do not say these names lightly. I'm not trying to bring anyone down. I want to build people up. And Steven Gerrard and Kenny Dalglish are two of the biggest names. Maybe one and two in whatever order, depending on how old you are. Agreed. Mo Salah could overtake them in terms of goals this season. That's what he means. And he could be... I think he could be the second greatest goal scorer in terms of actual numbers. He's the greatest goal scorer I'll ever see. I think that's a fact. But in terms of stone cold numbers, he could be number two when his contract is all said and done. Then he might he might need another one. I think there's room for that now. And I think everything that's happened in terms of like, oh, the wage structure, it's been such a big debate as to whether this is going to happen or, or, or what is going to happen in terms of not only is this a good deal sorry not only is this a deal for Salah but this is a deal for those players that want to come up to a level of Salah's level and we'll give we'll pay you if you're that good we'll pay you 100% I, I saw the smile on Mark's face then as you said that because that was one of the things that he said last week uh Mark I'm more than happy for you to take over that point because when we're looking Mo at Salah, Mo Salah running <laughs> down the wind Salah Egyptian king. Whoa, Salah. So I had to just get that in there. I just had to. I had to. We talked on the Patreon on Friday, and you know how ecstatic I was. Um, just to go to Stuart's, I guess, timeline. Um, so I was chilling. I think I was on the sofa. And who is another Touchline podcast, um, puts in one of our chats, the admins going rogue at Liverpool. And I'm thinking, okay, that's a bit weird. Like, what's going on here? And my mindset prior to that was, so Salah wasn't going to leave. And then Marnie got, well, Marnie got sold. And I thought, you know what? They may see Nunes taking over Salah's goals and they may decide they don't want to break the wage structure. So it could lead to Salah leaving at some point, whether this summer or the following summer. So I was kind of quiet about that, just mulling that over in my head. I wasn't really trying to say anything to anybody. And then he throws that into the chat, and I'm like, okay, cool. Then I think Fahi from our group says, contract's done. And I just start laughing. Like, I'm like, you know what? I've won. <laughs> no one can say anything else to me. Then I think the little clip comes out first. So a little clip of the breeze and Salah's shirt. And I'm like, okay, they're not going to do the announcement right now. It's just to, like, get us a bit amped up before Monday, but then they dropped the full video, like, maybe a minute later, and I'm like, yeah, I've won. <laughs> what can anyone say to me? I probably spent the next 15 minutes just laughing my head off, because everybody in the chat was going crazy, they were like, oh, how do you know Salah signed a new contract? He's leaving, he's leaving, and I was just laughing, like, I've got the evidence right here, and my guy is going to be a Liverpool player until 2027. That's all I need to hear. That's the best news that I've heard this summer, in my opinion. So it was great news. And like you said, Salah is one of the greatest goal scorers we're ever going to see. In my opinion, I still hold... I don't like doing this on a Liverpool podcast, but I still hold Cristiano Ronaldo ugh, and Messi to very high standards. So I class them two as the aliens of this age and mm. nobody's ever going to surpass those two. But for me, Salah is very, very close to that upper echelon. In six years, what you've literally said, he could surpass Steven Gerrard and Kenny Dalglish in six years at the club. Steven Gerrard, who was here for 
his whole span, his whole career, he might eclipse Steven Gerrard. Like, that's absolutely nuts to me. And it's the different types of goals he scored, the things he's won along the way with us, the places he's taken us. He's come, essentially, Mane was the start of Jurgen Klopp's era, but he was, I guess, the progression into heavy metal football, into exciting attacking play, into scoring 100 goals in the league. Like, being able to get to that next level of being up there with the big boys, like Salah took us there. So, in my opinion, Salah is one of our greatest signings because right now I can't think of anyone better, maybe Van Dijk, but just right now Salah's got that recency bias and I'm going to run with it for now. But <laughs> number one, our greatest signing and probably going to be our greatest goal scorer ever. I haven't seen a striker. Bar Suarez the racist, who's a great striker, but you know how I feel about that. And Torres, like, I don't see anyone coming close to Salah as a goal scorer. He scores goals for fun. He misses chances for fun as well. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he has those games where he gets really annoying. But he scores mm-hmm. so many goals that you overlook that. Like, he scored 17 goals in the first half of the season. Do you know how crazy that is? 17 goals, and I think it was like 10 assists. <laughs> Like, that was absolutely ridiculous numbers in the best league. There, was, there was a reason why we were comparing him to Messi for that yeah. entire first Well, why Mush was. Let's get clear. Mush was comparing him to Messi. <laughs> yeah, that, that two <laughs> weeks where he dipped against Watford and then did it again against Man City the following week, that was Messi-esque. That was that point was where you're like, oh, this is another level. To, to pull two of those goals in concurrent weeks in your portfolio is just nothing short of just... It's crazy. It just shows the level of him. Uh, just, just for a quick one, my favourite Liverpool signing ever, and I think it might be the first time we kind of see a money ball signing, is Sammy Huppier for like £500,000 from Willem too. But mm. that's, that, that's, that's a discussion for another time. But I completely agree with like he's probably our best signing. You think about the amount we paid we pay for him, the value we've gotten from that. You, you, you've got a top 10 player in the world. You've developed him. You've moulded him. And I think the point you've both made about if you come to Liverpool, you can be part of this project. You can roadmap out your career too. You might not, you might be on the fringes looking in when you come here, but as you progress and as you get better within this style and within this ecosystem we've built, you will put yourself into the upper pantheon of great footballers that are currently playing the game today. And that's absolutely fantastic. So if you are a Mr. Jude Bellingham, I don't know, you might be listening. I don't know. I, you know we can't track individual numbers, but you know, it's a little bit of another rationale to kind of to kind of uh, come to Liverpool, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so overjoyed. It's it's great to see that we can kind of give that commitment and reward him properly financially. I mean, I can't believe there was like so many debates about whether he should be asking for that amount of money, especially when we've seen those wage charts come out in kind of the recent days. Okay, kind of getting at Gary Neville's trolling and stuff. And Stuart, I'm going to come to you. I think that the, the, I feel like this might be a little bit of a theme in the book players who have broken wage structures and completely destroyed football. But um, <laughs> how are you feeling about the wage for the three years and the potential risk that some people are a little bit hesitant towards it with? I think pre-Mane being sold, there was an element of we can keep this together, we can do something, and we're going to, and I think as well that the transfer strategy as it has been over the last few years has been sensible enough that you see these players coming through and it's like, okay, we can maintain this. But I think maintaining, especially when you're on top, is foolish. 
you want to try and push, you want to try and stamp down on everyone else. And I said it before, if we don't break the wage structure for Salah, Diaz and Nunes can logistically, on the harshest scale, look and go, no matter what we do, we're not going to get to that level in terms of the financial thing. And giving it to Salah, it doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to be expanding everyone's wages going forward. It just means if you perform, if you do on that level, and that level is like a 1% level, then we will be able to be competing with the best clubs in the world in terms of financial compensation. Completely agree. And, and, and for my book as well, I think there's probably only about three, four other players in the squad that could possibly command that um, or anything close to that. It'd probably be Trent, Allison, mm-hmm. and Van Dyke. Those would be the only players for me in the squad that could kind of go and say, I, with their next contracts, I could do something. I want to be on a band similar to this. And Trent's in the, Trent's in the nice position where he's still quite young. I did wonder about if we didn't give this money to Salah, there's going to come a question with Trent at some point. Yeah. And Trent for That's me exactly is a Liverpool right. lifer. That's exactly what right. now, now, now we've said it, we've done it, it's fine. But that question is like, yeah, you'll get the money. Yeah, exactly. Trent is 22. His contract is up in three years' time. In two years, when he's 24, he's going to be playing at a ridiculous Well, hopefully so. If he continues on this trajectory, he's going to be playing at a ridiculous level. Can be the best right back in the world, and what stops you from giving him that type of money? Like, what feasible, I guess, excuse do you have to not give him that type of money, especially someone that you've earmarked to be the next Liverpool captain? And if you don't give him that money, are you happy to see him walk away? No, like the fans are gonna have an absolute riot. So you have to do something about it. So what do we think this upcoming season? There's gonna be a nice little break for Mo come World Cup time, as much as he probably hates it, he, he would probably like to flog himself into the ground. But we're looking at next season. He tailed off, obviously, I think just from an exhaustion point of view um, in the second half of the year, even though when you, you do look at the numbers, the, the creative metrics are still slap bang on what they were pre-AFCON. Actually, possibly even greater. He was still getting the right positions, it's just that some of the magic wasn't coming as it was. What do you think is a realistic prediction for Mohamed Salah going into the next season in terms of his, not only his goal return, but the assists as well, which were absolutely insane numbers. I said before that to pass Gerard and Dalglish, he needs 32, I think, in all comps. I'm going for that straight away. It's uh, He said himself after last season that he sets himself certain goals. I don't know if he's actually like sat down with the Liverpool records and gone, I'm going to break this. But if he's even seen I, it, I always have this vision. Sorry to interject you. I always have this vision of him because it always looks like him and Ian Rush like really close with each other. I always think that like they have a conversation. He's looking at Rushy going, Canal lad, how did you do that? How did yeah. you get this goal returning all comps? Because it, it's an absolutely insane record which just will never be beat. As much as Salah yeah. tries, he just never be beat. This is, this is the madness of how good both Salah and Rush are in that Salah could go for 30 plus goals for the next five years and he won't get close. No one's getting close to that record. It's never happening. That's why Salah's so special because he's the one that's actually going to dent that sort of top five and be involved in that conversation and ultimately 
going to sort of settle behind Ian Rush. And we're going to be talking about it. It's like if someone breaks Mo Salah's goals record for Liverpool Football Club, I, I don't think I'll see that in my lifetime because they're going to have to start in the next 10 years. Like They have to come through the academy, you'd have to think as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just think to myself, like, the Trent argument is is the perfect thing to say, which is young how young he is and how good he is. When he retires, I'll be 50 years old or approaching 50. I'm not going to see that player again. Trent, Salah, like I'm not going to see something that... We are living in blessed times with the players that we have and the output that they do. And, and with Salah, it's just... I mean, I, I don't understand. I think that some football brains are broken when they talk about Salah not being on that level because I just watch him and I see joy and I see, like, just just goals. That's that's what you want out of a footballer. If you can't see a, a world-class footballer out of Mo Salah, then I genuinely feel sorry for you. I've literally just run the math in my head thinking about how old I'll be when uh, if Trent retires. I say he plays for another 16 years, I'll be 47. That's absolutely terrifying. Uh, yeah. We'll not think that far into the future. Um, <laughs> the Salah thing as well, um, when, when, we just, when, we talk, when we talk about him, this new, this new look Liverpool front three, as it is. So if we, if, we, if we were going to a game, if we're playing a game tomorrow, you, you would probably go with something along the lines of <clears throat> Diaz on the left, Jota through the middle to begin with. I would assume it would be like a kind of a rotation deal for, for him and uh, Darwin Nunez going forward. And obviously Mohamed Salah on the right. Looking at the evolution of that, how confident are you that that kind of gels together and has the same impact as the original front three? And Mark, I'll kind of start with you on that question. Um, so they've already played quite a number of games together. I feel like, for me, Yota's slightly better off the left which is why I'm more excited to see Nunes, Yota, Salah. So, yeah, for me, in my opinion, I feel like Yota's better when he's not facing back to goal and he's able to run into space. Um, the way Nunes plays is he drifts into that left channel. So, ideally, you'd want to get the two interchanging. Um, essentially, Yota starting off on the left, Nunes starting through the middle, and whenever the ball's played over... The defence, then Nunes goes into that left-hand channel, Yota goes through the middle, and you can kind of like flex that, those two like that. Um, for me, the Yota diaz Salah one is very interesting. We've seen it quite a couple of times already the past season, and we already know what Diaz is on. Like Diaz is a magician, and come off the back of a proper pre-season and some rest, he should be absolutely flying. Like We saw what he did to Reese James, and... It's that we know he can cook when he's really cooking. So he's a known quantity. Yota's a known quantity within goals. And people say Yota had a shit season, but he got 15 Premier League goals. I can't remember how many he got all comps. But one thing that we've touted around Coppen was he came back really, really quickly after his injury. And part of that was probably he felt threatened by the existence of, well, I guess the emergence even of Luis Diaz, where he's kind of been ousted from the team now. And he wants to get back and play as soon as possible. Mane wasn't playing too well free AFCON and he thought, you know what, let me see if I can do something in the middle or do something within the squad and try to like cement my place in the side. And he's kind of played himself through injury into really, really bad form. And even though it was bad form, he wasn't 
horrendous. So I remember there was times within the Coppin group chat we mentioned, you know, his link-up place, he was a little bit better in this match. There's a little bit of an improvement that we can see from your and hopefully that grows into next season. Um, in terms of Salah, like Salah's a monster. Like um, There was a interview, I can't remember who it was with, and he was talking about how Kane got top goal scorer and top assister the season before, and he was like, yeah, I'm coming for that. And he ends up doing it. Of course, there's the talking before a Champions League final. There's those little things that he can improve on and he can improve on the delivering side of things. I don't, I'm all for talking as much as you want in terms of if you deliver. Um, but personally, the way I would play it is I wouldn't talk until after the game is done. That's, that's one thing that we're never going to be able to get rid of. Like, players are going to talk. And unfortunately, we did lose the final. It is where it is. But Salah will have another chance. And for me, Salah's driven by these moments of defeat where he got injured by Sergio Ramos and said, you know what, I want to win the Champions League. Next season wins the Champions League. We missed out by a point. You know what, I really want to win the Premier League. Wins the Premier League. He comes to the Premier League with a chip on his shoulder because he was really mistreated at Chelsea. Breaks the goal-scoring record. Like If Salah really wants to do something, it seems like he puts us all into it. And although there may be setbacks, yeah, Egypt, Egypt didn't qualify for the World Cup, which is a blessing in disguise for us. And I know he, it, it was a big knock to him, I guess, and a big knock to his confidence, but it is what it is and something we'll probably benefit from because on the back of that, he'll come back spurred, he'll come back willing to put his all into Liverpool and trying to point, prove a point again that I'm sure all of these players do see the tweets and the jokes and the memes that fly about on the internet and what's been touted. So, I know someone like Salah sees that and thinks, you know, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. And every season he's been able to do so. So hopefully this upcoming season with a front three of Diotta, Diaz and Salah, or whether that be Nunes interchanging, whether that be Carvalho, or whoever does step into the front three, they'll all be driven and have that dog in them, like we like to say, to win us something, win us something major this time. That's on the scouting reports for, for Liverpool. Got that dog in him. Does he have that dog in him? No, we don't want him. <laughs> I think there's so, so much you've, you, you, you've touched on there. I think the, the main takeaway is it's that relentless hunger and desire from Hamisada to be the best version of himself. We see he kind of he, he adds little aspects to his games year in, year out. For every for every season he's been here, he, it's almost like he's an NBA player when they had like a little bit, you know, when they had the post moves in, they, they work on their three point shooting. Hey, do you mind if I jump in there, Chris? So one thing that just came to mind now is, do you remember maybe 17, 18, 18, beginning of 18, 19, loads of people saying Salah has no post moves, has no isos, he can't dribble. Then Salah just brings out the dribbling package. And <laughs> it's literally typified in his goal against Man City this season where he sat three of the best defenders in the world on the floor, like literally on their bums and slapped it top corner just because he can. Like That's the most Salah thing to do. And... He continued. He continually improves. I know Chris works in product like me, so constant product improvement, like the cyclical method of analysing and saying, you know what, this is where I can get better. I'm going to do this, and you get the outcome of it. It's a sick world that we work in uh, because we have to consistently deconstruct our own work to see what we could have done better. It's a endless cycle of just hatred of your own work. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that one and our workflow fracas uh, in, a, in a future part. Um, <laughs> which do it. Kind of obviously, with the same question I posed to Marco, how are you feeling about the new look front three from what we've seen so far? And 
with the added element of Darwin Nunez, because I think Marcus has done a really good point there. How Nunez played at Benfica, kind of coming off the left in certain occasions, that will 100% hopefully benefit not only Jota, but I think it would benefit Diaz as well, as we saw through times last year. And for Porto, he does have a tendency to kind of like to kind of drifting towards the middle, either cutting through on goal or running yeah, and uh, kind of counter attacking possessions. It's funny you say that, actually, because I want to touch on another part that Marco said, which is really interesting in terms of the way the season is structured. Yeah. Because no Salah at the World Cup, no Diaz at the World Cup. So I'm wondering whether we're going to see a bit more Nunes, Jota together and we'll unleash Salah and Jota maybe post-World Cup, maybe pre-World Cup when no one wants to get injured. And the, the... the diversity of what we can do in the attacking areas is it's never been in doubt. It's, it's, it's so fascinating in terms of um, like the Barcelona side of age uh, was heralded for, Oh, you can, they never fail to answer the questions and you, whatever question you ask of them, they'll be able to solve it. And this forward line for Jurgen Klopp in theory Whatever question you ask of it, he has the players at his disposal to solve it. And whether we want to, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say necessarily run Nunes and Diaz into the ground in the early part of the season, and then let a fresh Salah and, um, sorry, uh, yeah, and then the second part of the season let a fresh Salah and Diaz go at it. But at the same time, I do wonder the the rotation, the the first half of the season up until the World Cup starts, what we see, who we see and the angles that we see. And Liverpool were blessed for the first time in probably my lifetime of having a really good squad depth, not just in one area of the pitch, but in most areas of the pitch last season. And you could go into a game thinking, okay, he's picked this front three. Maybe it's for circumstantial evidence. Maybe it's for a specific matchup. And you just take it because that's it worked. It did. It, it happened. And this season, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, potentially, in the first half of the season before everyone goes off to the World Cup. And then after yeah. that, we've got a fresh um, Diaz and a fresh Salah to unleash on everyone. Debo Phil is one short up top. Considering the outgoings. Think, I used to think so. But with Carvalho probably touted to start as a right well, as a forward player, I'm assuming it's going to be off the right um, because of where we have, I, I guess. I, I, I kind of play for the middle, you know. I, do you know what, yeah? <laughs> Let me get to the sick band of Marco for a bit, yeah. So when we first got linked with Carvalho in January, my ideal scenario was Carvalho in false nine. Well, not ideal scenario for any time soon. It was kind of like a future scenario that's playing in my head. Um, Carvalho in the false nine. Uh, Jones on the left. Harvey Elliott in that right. Sorry, Jones on the left centre mid slot. And Harvey Elliott in that right centre mid slot. And they all would be able to interchange because they can all play across those positions. And they yeah. all, well, Jones and so Elliot and Carvalho have played with each other since Fulham days. Obviously, there's a huge gap when Harvey moves to Liverpool, but they've played for played with each other for long enough to build up that chemistry. Jones and Elliot already have chemistry, and they're very. I feel like it helps being young, like you have those new style 
methodologies and like you think you might be able to do something so you just go out and express yourself so ideally it would have been nice to see that triangle of players just all flexing positions and being able to I guess upset a defence because what can you do if three players can all play the same position all interchange at will like Harvey Elliott popping up in the false line who's defending him because the CDM might be dragged with Fabio the midfielder that's tracking Jones like how do you track that it would have been nice to see but that's just kind of like an FM FIFA thing, I guess. That's never really going to happen unless Klopp is as sick in the head as me. But who knows? <laughs> I, I see the reason why we can't see it in the uh, Carabao Cup, to be fair. Um, it'd, be, it'd, it'd be a pretty nice one. If, to, to be honest with you, with this preseason, if I'm in the coaching staff, I'm literally going to Fabio Carvalho. You're going to not leave the side of Roberto Firmino for this entire training camp. For all intensive purposes, you consider him now your big brother. Absorb every single piece of knowledge he has to offer. Look at how he plays. Run through the old tapes. Run through the current tapes. And just try and mirror what he does on and off the ball as much as possible. Because if you can nail that down, you will go on for a while in this game. I was waiting for the name Bobby Firmino to appear. Because I don't know. If you you presented me with a, a depth chart from last year to this year, I might be wrong on this. As far as I can think in the top of my head, Bobby Firmino is now where Divock Origi was. I love Divock. Man, Divock. Oh, yes. He's the best. But Bobby Firmino in that spot, much better option, much better for whatever we want to do, whether it be Carabao Cup, whether it be give someone a break. You know, everything that we want to do in this side, and I know we talked about the Salah contract, and I do think, Apropos of nothing, I'm not an insider. I'll never pretend to be. We'll sort the Bobby Firmino contract out at some point because he's got a role to play in this team. One hundred percent. My my favorite my favorite Liverpool player um, mm. of, of this kind of Klopp era by far. Uh, I think yeah, I, I, I get a feeling everyone just kind of seems to be really calm about the situation. There's like not been a fuss made by any camp in regards to it, um, and he just. Obviously, I think he just looks happy, he looks settled, he likes playing for this, and I think he'll probably stay around for another another year or two, in all honesty. He's too young to go back to Brazil anyway. Um <laughs> and I wouldn't want to see him in another European team, in all honesty. It would it would really pain me seeing him in like a Juventus shirt or something. It just be it just wouldn't look right. Um but if he was to you know pop up a Fluminese in a few years, that'd be completely fine with me. Gives me an excuse to buy one of their nice one of their nice shirts, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> not, not seeing that smile would make me not smile. It's true. It would literally be the Shawn Michaels, I've lost my smile speech uh, for yes. me on this pod. 1,000% the day he leaves. Um, but yeah, not fan- really good discussion about Marcelo and the attacking options. Um, we'll quickly take a, a little bit of a commercial break and we'll be back to talk with Stuart about his book. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And we're back. Thank you to whoever Blue Wire inserted in the ad reads. Um, if it's erectile dysfunction pills, hope you get the help you need. Um, of course, we're joined by, by Stuart to discuss his latest release, as we kind of mentioned on the top of the pod. The Cornerstone Collection, Sculpting the Premier League's Past, Present and Future. So, Stuart, I don't know if you want to give us a little bit of a intro to to the book and kind of the motivations that you had for, for writing it in all honesty. Because for me, just re- reading the synopsis and the the kind of uh, um, excerpt you sent earlier on this week, it, it was a really riveting read and I'm really keen for the uh, for, for our audience and everyone else on the social media networks to kind of get the scoop. Like all good ideas, it started with a few beers on a late night with a few friends. I love football, always have. And uh, I say always have, but even in the sort of preface to the book, like I didn't get started until I was like, nearly 9, 10. According to Arsene Wenger, I'd never have been a world-class footballer because I got started too late. So, unfortunately, the nine-year-old me, too late for Wonder Kid status. And um, we, that being me and my friends, started a podcast a couple of years ago now. We had to sort of put it on hold. But the gist of it was we did two seasons of doing the Premier League in the most sort of in-depth way that you could possibly do it. But also... um, our, our own little twist on it, which was do the Premier League backwards. The first season was game number 38 to game number one. It started as a predictive podcast, became a reactive podcast. Second season, it was all the way, like season-wise, from the season we were in, which I think was 2018, 2019 at the time, back to the first uh, ever season, 92, 93. In the third season... I was personally set a challenge, which is to say I was the one that was prepared to put up a spreadsheet, which was like, we're going to do the players. Like, can you still, can you tell the full story of the Premier League through however many different players? And what we tried to do as well is not necessarily touch upon the most famous, the best players. You know, you've got your top 50 Premier League players of all time. That's fantastic. And there are some of those in this but also some of the players you might not necessarily heard of, some of the stories you might not necessarily heard of. And also, fundamentally, can you cover every club that's ever been in the Premier League? And Mm -hmm. that's expanded now a couple of years later to this book where there have been 50 teams that have played Premier League football since it started 30 years ago. Every club, all 50, is covered at some point, whether it be full chapters, a number of chapters, or a specific point in their history that was very important. We've covered everything. We've done as much as we can do. And it's it was uh, an amazing process for me to learn about every club and also to go back through Liverpool's history as well and sort of chart that course. You, you talked about touching on multiple clubs there. I think you managed, you probably covered about 10 of them with just Nicholas and Elka alone. Um, <laughs> there are, and kind of obviously from, from, from the chapter list, you, you said, oh, well, there are some really interesting names on this list. The ones that really stuck out to me were obviously Charlie Adam. I, I'm really keen to kind of discuss that one in terms of final pieces of jigsaw for Kenny Dalglish's squad. Um, I believe that phrase is in there. That phrase is in there somewhere. It might not be for Charlie Adam, but it's in there somewhere. 
Jarelio Gomez at, at number one. And of course, um, the one that shot me, I wasn't expecting him to come on this list. And I was talking about it to a friend earlier on when I was doing a comparison. He's Titus Bramble. Talk to me quickly through about the Titus Bramble chapter, because I am absolutely intrigued by what this kind of personifies. Well, first of all, how many Wigan players are you going to include over the course of <laughs> what you're going to do? Well, we're covering every club, so there's got to be one. And there's more than one. There are two. And I wouldn't yeah, even call one. Say again. Charles and Zobia? Is that the second one you're thinking of? No. I mean, there is the other Wigan player. There, is, there are good tr- players that played for Wigan, but like I'm trying to connect the tissue to other teams as well. And with yeah. Bramble, the interesting thing for me was how much of a fool he was, seen as. He was the Harry Maguire, the Phil Jones, before you had those things, before social media to a certain degree. And I wanted to go back and look and see, was he that bad? And when you go and look at it, I think there are bad parts, and certainly the end of his career, when everything I've just said, like social media is very prevalent, then it does get really bad. But he's a guy that came, burst through the scene at Ipswich, and had a really good time. And then Bobby Robson, who has entirely massive Ipswich connections, boys in for Newcastle, everything like Bobby Robson's Newcastle, there's a lot that goes on there. Uh, he goes to Sunderland and Wigan and simultaneously gets rehabilitated by Steve Bruce, um, sort of. And in between, Roberto Martinez comes in, who's never been the most defensive managers of all time, and then just sort of, he doesn't create the Bramble meme because it was already set well before, but he doesn't help him at all. It's it, yeah, I remember him being quite stable in the early days of Wigan. It was like it was one of those ones where you're okay, okay, he might have a calamity in, in some points, but for the vast majority of that early stage, he was quite stable. Um, and then yeah, like he just can't just that style of play that Roberto Martinez wants to do, which again ultimately get does get Wigan relegated. It wins mm. a cup, but it gets them relegated. So it, that's that's just an interesting story in itself. Um, who was that when you when you kind of looking at? Obviously, you're trying to tell the story of all the fifty clubs, which again is a pretty insane stat. There's only been fifty clubs in thirty years of Premier League football. When you were going through it, who was the most person to look at from a profile point of view when you were revisiting all the fifty teams? I mean, you could go one or two ways on this. There are certain clubs that are only in the Premier League for a single season. So you have to choose them very specifically because if you've only got one season in the Premier League, like uh, Swindon or Barnsley, mm-hmm. um, or there is another one, but you know, you've, you've, your options are limited. Or then alternatively, you've got a team that has a couple of years, has a run, but yet maybe doesn't necessarily stamp itself down with characters as much. And you have to maybe go slightly further or fail to, to select those. Like Bournemouth are a perfect example. They were a, a perfectly cromulent Premier League team for quite a few years. When it came down to looking at those players, there weren't a load of great names to pick from in terms of who you would choose. And, 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 to Bournemouth fans that may somehow, I don't know how or why, be listening to this. I still think your story fits within this profile because you've got within this how they sort of survived in the first era and sort of what happened when they went down as well. Um, I think the thing that fascinated me the most was what happened sort of early 90s, sort of before I was 
regularly watching for, or aware of like all the stories in football. Um, I think I've mentioned this on, on a couple of podcasts already, Royal Promoting the Book, but I, as someone that didn't really get into it until 1996, really struggled to get my head around the fact that Dion Dublin scored the first ever winner for Manchester United in the Premier League. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, like, and now he is on homes under the hammers. It's yeah, quite yeah, a yeah. That joke. <laughs> but like, the, 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 the Dion stuff, the Dion Dublin story is kind of the crux of the book. This is why I've told it a couple of times. Which is, he was playing for Cambridge. They got into the playoffs. They played Blackburn Rovers. They lost to Blackburn Rovers, which meant that Alan Shearer didn't go to Manchester United, which also meant that Dion Dublin as a replacement for Alan Shearer, did go to Manchester United. He goes there, he breaks his leg within the first six months, and then they replace him with Eric Cantona. Exactly, that, yeah. It, it, when, you, when you think about it, I always see that meme where it's the dice, where it's falling forward. And it's like, Blackburn getting promoted somehow ends up in a fan getting karate chopped, uh, karate kicked um, <laughs> by Eric Cantona. Absolutely insane, but it is those little stories when we kind of think of when we read them now, when they kind of encapsulate this moment in time, is what makes this the premise of this book so fascinating. I want to, I do, I do want to cut to, to, cut to the Alison chapter now. There's, there was a lot packed into this when I was reading it, and obviously, the way the way the chapter starts out when we're kind of talking when it kind of talks about Alison's goal against West Brom, and you worded it perfectly. In all the different terminologies that you used, the emotion of that occasion really personified the emotion that that season had in it. It felt like the players needed that lift. It felt like we as the fans needed that lift because we didn't have much to celebrate in person or on the pitch. And everything that kind of happened to Allison, you know, obviously reflected upon society in that way. His father passed away. He couldn't mourn that properly. He couldn't even go back home and start his grieving process. Obviously, a lot of people lost family members to COVID. They couldn't do the same thing. And it really intertwined these large, this larger-than-life character that we see week in, week out, doing the fantastic stuff he does for Liverpool and how he relates to the everyday person. It's really hard to balance this idea with... COVID specifically, which is really important and, you know, affected so many people. And football, there's just 22 lads kicking a ball around. Mm. But I've always believed that football is slightly more than that definition. And anyone that talks about, oh, it's just a game, what you bothered for, it's just like, what you, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. And it, not, maybe not on the scale of a worldwide pandemic, but the human element. And I'm a footballing romantic. I think I said it earlier. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And the Allison goal, I don't know where it actually ranked in terms of the greatest goals of Liverpool's history, which they've been doing on the official channel recently. But it's the best goal ever that was greeted with silence in terms of the crowd. And you can yeah. hear the players celebrating. And just that noise, it will always take me back. I've watched that goal a million times back, as we all have. And first of all, what a goal it is. Fantastic header. But just... It, you you see central defenders try to replicate that week in, week out. Yeah. It's, it's, a, 
insane goal. Johnston had no chance, and he, I actually think he's a decent keeper. I, but the, 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 a last minute winner, regardless of who scores it, when you're in the running for a Champions League place, when after a season where you've had no right to, I'm trying to talk about purely footballing terms here rather than the wider sort of COVID terms of it. But when you add all of it together, um, and, and there will be other fans of other teams that will turn around and go, it's overly emotional, it's this, it's that. If this were you, if you felt that emotion, if you felt that in that time, it's as close to bittersweet perfection as you can possibly get, not just because of what the goal meant to the players, to the person. His interview afterwards, as someone that went through something relatively recently, you know, it, it brought me to tears. Mm. Uh, and that's what football did. Football was meant to be a distraction from the pains, the pressures of life. And during COVID, you couldn't get away from it because of what else was going on around the stands. But that moment, that goal, it rises above, as all good football moments should do. 1,000%. And it, football is, in a way, it is this pseudo-religion. It is a cult. We all go to this one place. We're all in different sects. We go to this one place. We watch this one team week in, week out, millions of us, thousands of us, in person or via the screen. And we're all kind of fixated on this common goal. It, it, it is. It probably shouldn't have religious religious exempt tax status, but um, it's it's this one thing that brings us all together. It takes us, like you said, away from the monotony of everyday life, and it is this escape. And when you don't have it, you realize how much of a core thing it is in your life. I mean, I'm at a, I'm at a point now where I mean, we've all seen Liverpool win everything, but even still, when we drew two two to Brighton last season, I was I was a little bit of a grumpy bastard for like two days. I think that's the part of it as well, is that watching football, going to the game, experiencing it however you experience it. No one experience is better than the other, but mm. whatever your way of taking it all in, we listen to podcasts, we go to the games, we have the collective experience of the highs and the lows, and on social media in person, on WhatsApp, at the game, in the pub, in the ground, wherever I am, I see people that I don't know their names, but I've seen them at their highest and I've seen them at their lowest. And that's the collective experience of what I think football is all about. Regardless of who you support, we're just fortunate enough that we have these highs. And I've said so often to myself, in the last few years, this Jurgen Klopp team, I am determined to cherish this team because this is as good as it gets. This is football at its highest. And uh, some people afterwards, after the uh, Premier League sort of fizzled out, and in that last 20 minutes, that roller coaster ride as it was, oh, that was shit, that was. Was it? I experienced something most of you never will. I had that, yeah. that hard time. At that 45-minute mark, I was shaking. I was thinking, this is on. The, the, the greatest thing of all time is on. And that's what I want. Whether I get it or not, I want that hope. I want that physical, mental connection where I can look at someone across a bar, across a ground, across literally a row of seats and go, 
we both know what we're in this for. I, could, I couldn't agree more. We're all in this for this one collective good and we're aiming for the same destination. I mean, the quadruple thing last season, I will never forget it. It was this mm. moment in time where we were all kind of thinking this thing was on. And from a brief point in that season, when all hope had been lost, they they did everything they possibly could to drag it to the last possible... They, they were 90 minutes away from winning a quadruple. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, touch wood, if they somehow win the two trophies they didn't win next season, I'll still be as happy. You know what I mean? It's it's what we're in it for. It's the story of redemption. It was, it's it's compelling storytelling at its best. And obviously, as someone who lo- loves wrestling, the redemption story is what you're, you're there for. Yeah, I mean, there's so. I think every club has their own mythology, and I I said before, and I will repeat it: we are incredibly fortunate enough to experience this. I mean, you like myself. You must have friends who are. You must have friends who are Warsaw fans. It's a very stark contrast in Mm. terms of playing in the doldrums of League Two compared to the heights of what we do in the Champions League. I'll give you an example. I have friends that are Birmingham City fans and they had their moment when they won the League Cup against Arsenal and they won it in the last minute. And if you're going to win a cup, what better way to win it in the last minute? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've I've experienced more than that. I've won the, like I've seen us win the League Cup more than a few times. Well, obviously this season for one. But yeah, at the same time, I can't take away how they feel in that moment and that passion and that sort of connection to a team that I'll have the chance of seeing again, maybe this year. They might not for a twinner. Other Philly Martins is a hero. Yes. For Blues fans. A hundred percent. Well, it's, it's crazy. And there, again, and the like... As well, is that like, there are a hundred over Femi Martins out there. There's, there's players that played for every club that are that kind of person, that kind of stature. The way we talk about um, Allison and the way we talked about Salah earlier on. Obviously, you can't all be like the greatest goal scorers of all time and the best goalkeeper in the world and, and trying to change the position. But every club has that, even as far down as League Two, those fans have those players that they've seen in the stands and they worship just as much as we have the you know honour of watching the players that we watch on a week-in and week-out basis. Couldn't agree more. The one thing that you touched on, and we, we kind of said, I kind of said this earlier, is final piece of the puzzle. You you go on from the lows that were Kiev with Loris Karius in the goal. What happens there? How he got a little bit of stick from the Chester fans um, in that preseason game, and it all seemed like it was too much to come back from. We then fast forward, obviously Allison comes in, smashes the world record for a goalkeeper, which it gets eclipsed in the space of a week, which again is absolutely insane. And it's against a domino effect because obviously Real Madrid were interested. They go the opposite direction where they get um, FIBA Courtois. As we saw in the final this year, it worked out for them. And obviously mm-hmm. Chelsea go and they get Kepa Riza Balaga. Did not work out for them like we did see this season. There's a weird connection here that I'm getting to. Um, but we kind of fast forward. And I was lucky enough to be at this game. It's a do-or-die game against Napoli at Anfield. Realistically, obviously, Salah scores one of the better goals I've ever seen in person. Napoli have a few sniffs, but the one chance they get at the end of that game 
encapsulates why you bring Alison Becker to the football club. Talk to me kind of like that, that that kind of contrast when you are writing that kind of end to the Alison chapter, what it meant to you. I think when the book deal had sort of first been settled, when the podcast had been done previously, it all hinged on that moment. And I knew it was always going to hinge on that moment because it's not just a pivotal point in Liverpool's history or Alison's history. It's a pivotal moment in European football history. If they score there, there's so many ripple effects that happen after that. I, I can't even begin to fathom what happens. And so I started the chapter with what happened more recently in terms of the West Brom goal, but that save like a goalkeeper scoring is you know out of this world ridiculous a save in the right moment at the right time can change everything and that's what that did it sets a course and and you know you can turn around and say oh well it doesn't have to happen like that well we didn't have to go on and do what we did there's so much that goes on from there but there is one thing that's a guarantee Without that save, none of it happens. Some things might, and some things might even be slightly similar than what we've seen now. But the Champions League win, the league win, you know, it, it set a whole course in motion. It set a, a path in time in motion. And Alison, in terms of the book, is one of the more sort of more recent players. And I think one of the things that I've tried to hit upon is the fact that like football is not just what happened or what is happening. It's what's going to happen. And Alison, not only just now, like the, the, the thing about Alison and the thing about this Liverpool team is that this whole chapter that I've written could need to be rewritten in two years because he could go on and win another Premier League or another Champions League or both or win the quadruple. Like in terms of like getting my booking before deadline, if we'd won the quadruple, like, I would have had to rewrite the whole thing. Like it's it's mad because one season, one save, one game for a goalkeeper, especially, it can all change. I think this this is probably Alison's best season in the Liverpool shirt for me. I think his debut season is he's absolutely incredible. It shows why you bring him in. But I think this season for me in particular coming back from last year as well, when there were a few issues, you kind of thought, is this going to be the same guy? The added value he brings, it just shows you why world-class always shows through. And for me, for this season, it really cemented his place. And I'm glad you said it at the, at the top as well when we started discussing. He's the best goalkeeper in the world. And it's just so evident. It's so, it's so out there. The one thing that you also put in there as well was kind of how the weight of expectation from that signing, obviously with it being one of the bigger amounts spent on a goalkeeper and how the media, you mentioned the Leicester game in particular, where he gives the ball away, but it means nothing in the microchasm of that season at all. But it, it it's a personification of how British media, I think in particular, always find a way to jump on marquee signings and the weight of expectation that he set on them. Hmm. There's no doubt that there was a certain element of, and I think the same could be argued for Kepper as well, who um, ended up replacing Alisson as the highest paid goalie in the world. 
that like these big signings, especially as a goalkeeper, because their mistakes are so blatant, as they're so obvious to everyone, that you just think to yourself, oh well, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? But that's never something that follows up from a Sky Sports YouTube Sky Sports News headline of Alisson Klanger costs Liverpool in a game that we were fairly comfortable in and still won. But it's, oh, you can't do this. Because they have to... I do think within Sky Sports and, and football media in general, there is a sort of condition of talking too much. Right. This mm. is a really wild comparison, but I'm going to go there because why not? During the Kurt Zuma cap furore, Graham Souness, who is not necessarily the best orator of all time, was on TV and he actually said these words. The cat didn't do anything wrong. Right? That's a person that's on TV and asked to talk too much. So therefore, when it comes to analysis, you see goalkeeper makes mistake, causes goal. Will this cause problems in the future? No, because it was a mistake. And the thing is, is that... The, British media, I don't know if this is true today necessarily, but they're desperately trying to catch up with this idea of playing out from the back. And you see it all the time. Whenever any goalkeeper makes a mistake, it's, oh, that was because they were trying to play out from the back, regardless of whether the defenders weren't in a position to receive the ball or whether the pass back was terrible. It's Let's just focus on the fact that it ended up in a goal. And for Alisson at Leicester... There was a moment there after Carrius, him coming in for that fee and making that mistake where you sat there and you thought, oh, we're in trouble. And he was fine. He was fine. Never. There's no. And I think that's the measure of the man. I think that's the measure of how good he is as a goalkeeper, that it was never an issue ever after. And yeah, you say like last season, he had a bit of a, I say last season, it was the season before now, but like he wasn't great. I think when you examine that, he was, behind the back four at the end of like the eighth and ninth choice centre halves and he made like one or two bad games. Like the game against Man City is the one that I'll always think of. And it's like how many times can I remember him saving us versus how many games can I remember him having a terrible one? Yeah. Funny that you speak of Leicester as well. I remember when he flicked over Vardy's head. Yeah. Was was that after the first Leicester mistake where he I think it was three games into a season. He thinks it over Vardy's head, makes it look so easy. And for me, one of the things that kind of irks me about mainstream media is a lot of it is lazy journalism. They don't actually look into the analysis of why, like you said, why the keeper has made a mistake. It might have been a back pass that was under hit. It might have been the fact that the keeper wasn't even ready for the ball. Um like a lot goes a lot more goes into it and they just paint it with the same brush. And it's quite annoying. It's a very odd one for a country that wants to have the most progressive football league in the world, that they also want you to kind of still play in this archaic way where you don't break the mould. It is, it's, it's very interesting. That's been English football's problem for day dot. They are afraid of flair. They are afraid of anything that breaks out of standard rigid four four two, and... Anything that combats the idea... I think it's got better. I think the generations that have come through since the latter 2010s have been um, sort of in and around a generation of players that have grown up playing 
quote unquote the right way there is no right way of playing but there is a more expansive way there is a more technical way um i always find it funny the debate between diving and um like a yellow or red card or basically a red card tackle because diving is against the rules a red card tackle is against the rules but one will see a certain reaction from a certain group of fans and the other will be like yeah that's fine he tried to do him it's perfectly fine no, they're both against the rules. And it, it's just a case of if a certain, like, and this is in the book as well, like, we grew up, or I specifically, you're probably much younger than I, grew up through the years of 4-4-2, Wimbledon, you know, kick it, knock it long and see if we can get some knockdowns on terrible pitches that would not have condoned any good football. We've got better pitches, better standards of technical players and ability, uh, more receptive players to that. And basically what we've done is, I mean, pretty much the same thing that English culture has done over the last 200 years. We've taken the best bits of every other country in the world and gone, yeah, that's us. We've made it our own. And yeah, we'll try and, inha- we'll try and like bring it all into a pot but at the end of the day, to say, oh, well, like goalkeepers shouldn't do this or the defenders need to do this. I don't like trying to force specific players or a specific style into these boxes in a game where formations are effectively useless because they're just how the players start. Now, the, the, things evolve, things change. And unfortunately for, as Marcus said, a lot of the media, they're just stuck in their old ways. They, they unfortunately are. I hope, I'm hoping that it does kind of change, um, even even more. I mean, I mean, not, 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 not to pat ourselves on the back, but you see the rise of kind of podcast networks um, with more people like us from from Touchline representing different areas um, and different demographics of the football supporting world. Hopefully, that kind of brings it in and just kind of getting the youth movement involved. I think Sky have done a decent job to an extent. I think BT's coverage is pretty good too. So it's just making sure the, the making sure the product off the field is evolving as much as it is on the field as well from how it's covered. But um, but Stu, no, Stu thank you very much for coming on to talk about the book. Obviously, you're going to be staying on talking about pre-season stuff, but Stuart's book, uh, the Cornerstone Collection, is available from Monday, I want to say. The Kindle edition is out right now and the hardback edition, everyone wants like another book in their bookshelf, as you can see right behind me, that is available from Monday, yes. Fantastic. We can get that from Amazon, W.A. Smith, Sportstones. Everywhere you can get good books. If they don't sell mine, they're not a good bookseller. There we go. That's, I think that's, that's the words to live by. Um, let's we talk about some pre-season expectations. Obviously, the, the, the lads reported back to preseason yesterday. It's a little bit of a short turnaround from when we actually do play some game. I think they go. I think they go away to Asia at the end of this week, which is quite insane. Um, now I'm thinking about it now, considering they've only come back on Monday. Uh, international players will be joining them next week. Um, we've seen the we, obviously we've seen James Milner, Jordan Henderson, Roberto Firmino's back, but I think we're more a little bit excited from from the younger cast. Seeing Joe Gomez kind of there, healthy ready to start his campaign. Fabio Carvalho coming in, Harvey Elliott, like we said. Seeing how these players can really progress through this preseason. I was having a quick touch on, and one of the things I wanted to quick touch on was, what are you guys expecting to see from this preseason? What are you kind of like really revving 
a craving to see from these group of players, from this initial group of players and the squad as a whole. So, Mark, I'll start with you, and I, I already know where this is going in terms of what you're what you're going to see from preseason. Let's have it. Um, I want to see Darwin Nunes. I want to see a lot of Nunes. See how he integrates into the side. I know Chris is a bit surprised by that, but um... I'm very surprised because I thought this was going as a midfield conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to see a lot of Darwin Nunes. Um, I've touted him for a big season. I feel like <sighs> Trent hasn't played with a big man. Trent hasn't played with someone that is a beast in the air. And for someone of Trent's quality, having somebody that can attack the ball and is a chaotic factor in the box at any point in time should bode extremely well. Same thing with Robertson, same thing with Tamiskas. And hopefully, I haven't seen too much of his delivery, but what I've seen is good. Hopefully, the same for Calvin Ramsey when he does play. Um, I wish I had the stats and I wish I had someone like Anik just to do the stat man thing for me, but I would love to see how many goals that Trent, well, how many headers Trent has assisted through his crosses and how many header opportunities have gone on target because I've seen so many corners that have like, been floated over and someone hasn't hit the target. But having a goal scorer that knows how to use his head would be great. Um, you know, well, let me go into the one that you knew. I want to see a lot of Harvey Elliott. A lot of Harvey Elliott because for me, and Mike is probably going to slaughter me for this, but I said Harvey Elliott gives me Bernardo Silva vibes, where he's not quite at that level yet, but he's technically good, he's dynamic, he's able to get about the pitch. And for me, the first three games of this season, he was able to do a lot of the so first three games of last season, he was able to do a lot of defensive work until the injury that we previously haven't seen before. So if you can have someone that can do it both ways and is dynamic both ways, hopefully he can grow to be something close to Bernardo Silva. I'm not saying he's anywhere near that yet. Um, I want to see a lot of Fabio as well. Like I've started watching Fulham games, well, towards the back end of the season when we were getting linked, I started watching a lot of Fulham games and he seems great. I mentioned that Kate was in a kind of like a second striker role towards the end of the season. And he was playing extremely high next to Yotta and Mane, whoever was starting as the nine. Having someone that is a dynamic goal scorer and is better in the final third than Kate in those areas should bode extremely well. Um, I also want to see a lot of link up between Yotta, Salah, and Nunes, as well as Fabio, because Fabio does his best work with a number nine in Mitrovic. Salah has had a great season at Florentino with a number nine and at Roma with Dzeko. Um, Yota had numerous great seasons with Jimenez. Um, so seeing them at a better level now where they're performing at a lot higher level and with... I feel like Dzeko is a great striker, so let me not do a disservice to him. But playing with a better level of striker than Jimenez in Yota's case... Where he's I, have a wild, I have a wild Jekko show, by the way, you know. I think he might be one of the top five strikers of the past, like, ten years. Cool. To us, I wouldn't say no, because technically I think he's great. I think it's a bit wild of a shout for me, the more I think about it. I, 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 like I, I love him. I just, I just think of all the different ways he can play, all the different ways he's been operated. And he consistently manages to get goals, even though, even though he's kind of going... What is he going to be, like, 36, 37? Yeah. Next, 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 next season. 
Yeah, amazing player. Um, also, I do want to see centre-back rotations. So, I want to see a bit more of Gomez. I feel like he was hard done by, by the fact that Matic, surprisingly, I don't know what he's doing, if it's yoga, if he's like eating right or Boy, I don't know where it is, but he's kept himself in great shape. Konate looks to be that second choice now that if Matip isn't there, he's stepping in. And towards the back end of the season, he was pushing to be that first choice. Um, so I'd like to see Gomez given a chance and not at right back, at centre-back. Um, and I guess excited to see what happens with the squad depth. Um, I know our midfield is... I guess not in, I don't want to say not in the best place, but we all want another midfielder. So I'd like to see the midfield rotations that come about in preseason when we haven't got a midfielder, unless it somehow works some magic between now and Saturday. Watch this space for a midfielder uh, would be the thing for me. I think the the Harvey Elliott, Bernardo Silva shout isn't as outlandish as it seems because you look at the attributes and you want someone who could make kind of progressive runs or be a progressive threat that can break into the final third and play off the people who are within the attack, the attack within the um, other penalty box. And it's not that far fetched as a shout because I think he he can do that. I think he probably needs to bulk up a little bit more, but he definitely he can definitely reach that potential. Stuart, how are you feeling about Harvey Elliott in particular, kind of going to next season? Because I feel like there's just so much. Even now, we saw the possibilities from the first three games of um, last season. And there's still just so much untapped potential there in what he can be as a footballer. How are you feeling about Javier heading into this preseason? I am as hype. Forgive me. I could be wrong. I'm as hype as I could be about Elliot's progression as I was earlier about Salah's contract. In that, at the start of the season, when Klopp throws him in, it shows me a degree of trust. Klopp don't throw kids in for no reason. In league and like big important games, did it the same at San Siro. Klopp's not doing that for no reason. After the first initial bouts of what we saw and what he's capable of, I put my hard-earned money down on Harvey Elliott making the World Cup squad. I got terrible odds for it. But I think that, and it is a little bit of a mystery to me as to, I mean, he had a really bad injury. So, you know, toward the end of last season, I was thinking maybe he's going to get some more chances. Maybe he's going to come out and and sort of be the player that I thought he was, or at least showing at the start of the season. We've had the break. He's had the time to recover. Now is the time, like, I am so excited for what Harvey can do because I feel like Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones, they're on a similar trajectory in terms of their um, path. But I always feel like Curtis will be the more consistent six or seven out of ten. And maybe he'll play longer. But Harvey's the one that's going to surprise you more. Harvey's the one that's going to do in like the, the highlight reel, as it were. And I think that both of them are very much right where they should be. But as far as Harvey Elliott is concerned, like the hype, I, I couldn't be... I, I am getting as much money as I can 
and I've already put money on it already. I need to, the Harvey Elliott stock, I need to buy more, is what I'm saying. <laughs> that, um, that everyone predicted really when you think of Harvey Elliott is, is one of the things that makes him just so, such an, intrigue, such an intriguing prospect. I mean, the goal he scores in the FA Cup against Cardiff, kind of at, after his comeback, it, it's just a little bit of a glimpse of what you can see. Those three games are the shock window. Those three games and that goal, I think, are the shock window of what he can become. And again, mm-hmm. it's that right-handed midfield role, which is the thing for me. That's probably one. Of the, that's probably the hardest role to play in the club team. Club team for what you have to do for the responsibility you have. You have to cover for Trent when he's been rolling forward. You have to have that defensive now and the awareness aspect for that. But you also have to be able to push up and link in that triangle on that right-hand side between. Uh, Trent and Mo, so it is such a it's such a crucial position, and to give that trust to Harvey, I think he's just a massive, massive show of respect for him, and just a tribute to how good he's he can be in the future going forward. Who else? What else are you looking forward to um, in preseason? Sure, you're looking forward to seeing if any new formations come about. I mean, the thing is, is that like preseason, I'll take it back a slight while in terms of like I'm no. I'm slightly long in the tooth compared to in my younger days, whereby I get hype about Dominic Solanke scoring like six or seven. And I'm like, this man is about to dominate. Uh, So at this point in time, they are just friendly games. So I'm not going to get carried away one way or the other anymore, but I want to see Darwin. I want to see Carvalho. I want to see, I want to see Liverpool, man. I know it sounds really stupid, but we had our season and it was a great season. And like this team is just an exciting team, whatever 11 is put out. And we've got a very short turnaround between now and the community shield. And we're going to, there's going to be some youth players, probably some team, um, probably some people that I sort of barely know the identity of, some names that have been on the bench, um, a couple of the lads from the, the earlier rounds of the League Cup whose name escapes me. Maybe, just maybe, we'll get that lad who was the ball boy for Trent at Barcelona at some point. You know, can we do that? That's why not. And then, you know, they sort of say, whoever they put out, the way they push up, I'm excited, let's go. And, and like, I'm, I'm far as I'm aware, I don't, if I'm wrong, don't at me. But I'm pretty sure that, like, when we play Man United in Korea, we've got like an hour, like, K pop concert beforehand. So we're getting the full entertainment value before we go and um, win the quadruple next year. Let's have it. I'm looking forward to that. Should be a good show. <laughs> can, can I yeah, be better than Camille Cabello? Show it's what you want. Uh... <laughs> Quadruple's what I want. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, it'd be a. Uh... Good way to kick off the season. Um, but now I'm, yeah, it's, it's pre-season. I always think it's just, I, I, one of the things I really hope they do is, I don't know if you, I was really imploring people to read this last year was Pep Linders kept uh, a diary on the Liverpool website about kind of the going, the, 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 I saw Stuart's face like, oh, so I know I'm on the, on the right, I'm on the right track here. Um, of kind of like what was happening, the little things they were practicing on. And it was such a good insight to what to expect from this season. So to expect from last season, sorry. I hope they do something similar again. Maybe they do with, you know, little videos or whatnot. But but no, man, you, you just see the excitement on everyone's faces. It is very much kind of first day at school um, vibes for the guys. They're so happy to see each other. 
I'm just looking. I'm just looking forward to see how this new group. Um, mm. I say new group. It's the same old group. They're just in a different shirt. Um, how they really kind of go about thinking. Right, we were so close. To, we were so close last year. We're going to go again. We're going to give you that somehow. We're going to give you that extra ten percent, which seems like a lot to ask. But if there's one group of players that can do it, and one football club that can do it, it's this football club. One hundred percent. I think as yeah, well, that's. I, I feel like that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, sorry, sorry, Stuart, I did cut you off though. No, no, no. It was one of those ones where I think there was like a clip of uh, Pep Linders. I think it was earlier today, just going like back to business, and he was very much sort of. I think it was Carvalho coming in, and everything you just said is like, yeah, now is we're getting ready. This is about to kick off. We, we are um, about to create history. Hopefully so, man. It'll be another, hopefully another history-making season for Liverpool, another history-making year for Copend. Um, get the Sabutamol ready. The lads are coming back to pre-season. Um, up the Sabutamol Reds and whatnot. That one for the Everton fans there. But yeah, um, I've really enjoyed this part. This has been one of the more fun parts I've, I've done in a while. It's, it's been nice to kind of switch my brain back onto a footballing sense. I feel like I took about a three-week holiday just away from the game, getting stuck into my work. But uh, I'm, really, I'm really looking forward to seeing what we get from pre-season, seeing what the Reds can kind of conjure together. And if there's any little tricks up Jürgen's sleeve, as we know, there always is a little surprise he'll throw in here and there. But uh, Mark, thank you very much for joining me this week. It's been an absolute pleasure to have your company as per, as per usual. And a massive thank you to our guest this week, Stuart Quigley. Um, Stuart, do you want to do one last plug for the book? Yeah, it's the Cornerstone Collection available from all good bookshops. If you go onto my Twitter, which is at SQ Studios, um, it's the link in my description there. The Kindle edition is already out. And by the time you see this, the full hardback edition may already be out. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved, I love talking about football anyway, but when talking about the Reds, this has been, I really appreciate it. This has been so good. I would absolutely love um, to get another pod, potentially for our Patreon, uh, talking about how you covered Carpi for their Serie B. Uh, yeah, an adventure and a half. Uh, it was just me and the BBC, and they were long gone by the time I was there. <laughs> uh, def- I, 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 if you're for it, I'd love to kind of get that in, in the book in the next few, in, in the calendar for the next few weeks. It sounds like an absolutely interesting story. Um, obviously, the story of you covering them and of Carpi in their Serie B season as well. But um, but yeah, this this has been this week's edition of Copy and Fracas. I've been your host, Christian. Of course, I'm joined by Mark and our guest, Stuart Quigley. I implore you, uh, from the excerpt that I do read, please go out, download, or buy Stuart's book, The Cornerstone Edition. Um, sorry, I feel like I completely butchered The Cornerstone Collection. I don't know why I said edition. I think it's because I've got new edition on my phone <laughs> that was playing from earlier. Um, so please do buy The Cornerstone Collection from Stuart available from all good book providers. Um, but yeah, that has been the episode of the Copy and Frackers for this week. We'll be back next week, <coughs> overanalyzing what's happening in pre-season, making some outlandish suggestions as we always do. But please stay safe. Thank you very much for tuning in for the fourth year anniversary of Copy. Until next week, we'll see you soon.
Social Podcast Network.